I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Our fall sermon series is entitled, Working for the Lord. And it's about our work, our vocations, our occupations, our employment, our jobs. We're learning together that God cares about our jobs, that God cares how we do our jobs, and that God empowers us to do our jobs for Him. We are working for the Lord. And we're learning that we all do that. Even if we are retired from our careers, or are currently unemployed, or are disabled and unable to do work for pay, or even if we are a second, third, or fourth grader, we all have a job to do. We're all to be working for the Lord. The first week of our series, we got that baseline idea inserted into our brains. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. That's that last phrase in our memory verse. It is the Lord Christ that you're serving. The Master Messiah is your true boss. And last week, we asked the question, is work good or bad? And we decided that it was complicated, right? Work was made to be good. It has an intrinsic worth to it. But because of sin and the curse, it turned bad. But Jesus' work is redeeming work. And one day, Jesus will make work good again. Perfect, in fact. Now, I want to get into some of the practicalities of our work. Things like diligence and excellence and attitude and ethics. And witnessing. A number of you on your, on your uh, survey cards asked, what about witnessing at work? How do I do that? Next Sunday, our guest preacher is going to talk about that in particular, witnessing at work. His name's Kirk Albrecht, and he, like me, is one of the successors to a, a church Jack Kelly pastored. He's the senior pastor at First Free McKeesport, the current senior pastor. He, I was looking for his youth pastor to come up. He's got this dynamic young man of a, of a youth pastor. I called him and said, could you send Isaac up to preach for us? And he said, no, Isaac's preaching at our church that Sunday. I said, well, you're second best. Could we have you? And Kirk said, sure, I'll come up. So my friend Kirk is going to come up. I'll be here too, leading worship, but I'm off this week. Kirk will be here to preach, and he's going to be preaching on witnessing at work, some of the practicalities of our work. But this Sunday, I have one more big, overarching, orienting question about work that I want us to think about before we get down into the nitty-gritty. And that question is a very simple one. It's this. Why? Why work? Why, why get up and go each day? Why do Christians, especially because that's what we are, Christians, why do Christians work? Now, you may already know the answer to this one, and you can probably guess from what we said the last two weeks, but I think it's worth pondering some more together and thinking through some of the implications of this question, why work? So to begin to answer that question, let's do what we did last week and ask it of ourselves. Why did you work this last week? Why did you go to work if your work is out of the home? Why did you fire up your computer at the office? Why did you pick up your tools and start using them? Why did you climb back up into the truck? Why did you make breakfast for the family? 
Why did you put on your scrubs? Why did you fill in the blank with whatever it is that you do each day? Why did you work this week? Let's ask a second, third, or fourth grader, right? Uh, can I get a volunteer, second, third, or fourth grader? Anybody want to answer? Why did you work? Yes, Kevin. Why did you work this week? Got any thoughts? Any ideas? Ask a buddy. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of out there, huh? Anybody? Okay, anybody's not a second, third, or fourth grader? Let's get a volunteer. Pam. I enjoy it for just the pleasure of for the pleasure of it. Yeah. Okay, great. Yes, sir. For the money. The moolah. Show me the money, Terry says. Yeah. Andy. Pay the bills, right? Yeah, the, the, for the, there are a lot of reasons why people work, and the most the number one reason for most is survival. We work to get paid to take care of our basic needs. Or as the seven dwarfs might say, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. Is that you? That's not bad. That's that's not wrong. In fact, it's biblical. The Bible teaches that one of the purposes of work is to provide for yourself and your family. Provision. It's not just a basic need, but a biblical imperative, especially for guys. Husbands and men? Husbands and fathers? Most of us go to work for other reasons as well. If you're a second, third, or fourth grader, you might do it to escape punishment. Amen, Kevin? Escape punishment? You've got these authorities over you that you must obey. Mom and dad and the teacher and the truant officer. Many people go to work to escape boredom. The truant officer goes to our church, I know. We're going to have a special Sunday for Truant Officer to celebrate you. Many people go to work to escape from boredom. They wouldn't know what to do if they didn't have jobs. There's an inner compulsion to work, and not working seems almost impossible. That's why some folks lose their way when retirement time comes. Or when they can't physically be busy anymore with work. Life seems meaningless. It's that Ecclesiastes again. But there are often deeper reasons why people work that we might not recognize as readily or be willing or able to articulate. How about self-fulfillment, self-esteem, finding your self-worth or identity? We're often searching for those things in our work as well, aren't we? Especially those of us who can choose what what work we do. Not everybody in the world gets to choose their work. But often we are motivated by self when we do. Michael Whitmer, in his excellent little book, Becoming Worldly Saints, begins chapter 10 with this question, how can you tell if you're winning at the game of life? The standard scoreboard looks something like this. Success, what have you done? Stuff, what do you have? Status, what do other people think about you? Whitmer goes on to say, people kept score this way in the distant past, and they will, it will be how they keep score far into the future. It applies to both East and West, men and women, the world and the church. People may count different things in different cultures and subcultures, but whether you're counting children, championships, sales, or souls saved, the same question remains. How well did you do with whatever your people value? What do you have to show for it? 
And how well do others think you did? They never stop counting until you're dead. Are these some of the reasons why you went to work this week? I think that these kind of scoreboards often motivate us more than we like to think or say. Here's another one that you probably didn't think of this morning. But it has been a prime but mistaken motive for work in the history of Christianity. To be saved. Misguided people. This morning we heard the gospel clearly from our sister Jen. But misguided people have often tried to impress God with their hard work. To earn their way to God by their efforts. By their performance. And not just by doing good deeds like going to church or giving money or teaching Sunday school or serving on a committee or going on a missions trip. But even by the way they do their occupations. That was true in the Pharisees' day. It was true in the Middle Ages with the medieval church. And it was true of some of the Puritans. And it's something that still sticks around today. One of you asked me a question this week via email. It's a great question that we're going to answer in multiple ways over the course of this series. One of the things in the email said this, How do you know when you're working hard enough or long enough to please God? How do you know? What's enough? How do you know when you're working hard enough or long enough to please God? I get it. It's the Lord Christ I'm serving. When's He going to be happy? The questioner goes on to ask about work and rest and how to balance the two. His, his question is, is very balanced. It's a great question. But you can see how someone asking that question might think that it takes hard work to be saved, right? How do I know when I've done enough to make God happy? So God's the boss. How much is required to please the boss? And how do I pay off all my debt? This sin debt. Because I know I'm a sinner. I owe, I owe God. So it's off to work I go. You see how that could work in somebody's mind? Now, if you know Ephesians at all, you know what passage we're going to look at today. It's verses 8, 9, and 10 of chapter 2. One of the most important passages in the whole Bible. One that every Christian should try to memorize because it gets to the heart of the Gospel. And it has implications for our work. Now, the English word work is going to show up three times in your NIV, but none of them there mean job or occupation or career. This is not a passage that is directly about our vocations or our employment, but it is about our efforts. It's about the things we do at those jobs, vocations, employment, and careers. It's why we went to them. And it's also about salvation. Let's read it together and think about its implications for our work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Would you pray with me? Lord, those are very familiar words for many of us. I pray that we would see them with new eyes. That it would be refreshed for us the truth of the Gospel, the one that saved Jen, the one that's changing her today, the one that's making her into who You want her to be. And that that would be true in all of our hearts and minds as well. And that we would see the implications for what we do Monday through Friday or whenever we do our work. Would You do that, Lord? As we read Your Word in the power of Your Holy Spirit, For the glory of your name. Amen. I've only got two points to share this morning. Here's number one. Why work? It's a not. Not to be saved or to bring glory to ourselves. Not to be saved or to bring glory to ourselves. The book of Ephesians is a rich explanation of the gospel. Chapter 1 begins with this long praise to the triune God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then Paul prays that believers would know just how blessed we are because of the mercy that God showed us when He made us alive with Christ and put our new rescued and redeemed selves on display. And as Paul is praying that, in chapter 2, he ends with these three famous verses that explain where our salvation comes from and where our salvation leads to. And he says that our salvation does not come from us. Look again at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Where does salvation come from? Well, it doesn't come from you and me. It's been truly said that the only thing that you and I bring to the table in our salvation is our sinful need of rescuing. That's it. That's all we got. We got lots of need. That's what we bring to salvation. Salvation, Paul says, is a gift. That's what it means for salvation to be by grace. You couldn't earn it if you tried. That's what Jen said to us this morning. It's a free gift of God, which she's received. Now that should be familiar for all of us because we've just spent the last year of our lives, or most of it, studying the book of Romans where Paul makes that point again and again. But here he says it in a nutshell. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Our faith, yes, is involved. But faith is not a work. It's not effort on our part. It's receiving. It's trusting. It's resting on someone else's work. Through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. I believe that that and this there in verse 8 is saying that even that faith is a gift from God, not something that I can take credit for. Now how does this all relate to work? Verse 9, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by, what's he say? Works, so that no one can boast. See, it's not by our efforts. It's not by our performance. It's it's not by our exertions. It's not by the things that we have done. 
Now, in the book of Romans, Paul talked about not by works of the law, where there he had an emphasis on the Jewish ceremonial law, the, all, the, all the keeping of the, of the Torah. But we also saw in Romans that it was bigger than just the Torah. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's not by any of our good deeds. That's not how, it's not by how we conduct ourselves at work. It's not by how we do our jobs. Many people have got this wrong over the history of thought. If it was by how we did our works, then we could get the glory for our own salvation. You see what it says? Not by works. Why? So that what? No one can boast. Whoever does the work gets the credit, right? You watch a movie, and at the very end, there's all these credits, right? And some of us stick around for the credits because there might be a scene afterwards, right? You know what I'm talking about. What are all those names? What are all those names? They're the people who did the work, right? And they get the credit. Well, if you're watching the movie of your salvation, is your name going to appear at the end? As getting the glory? As getting the credit? No, who's going who's to get that? God and God alone. If salvation is by works, then you and I do. But if salvation is by grace through faith, then God gets the glory because it's all from Him. Now again, what does this mean for our jobs? Help me, Matt. Help me tie this together here. Tie Ephesians 2.9 to what I'm going to do tomorrow. Well, for one thing, all that work we do is not to earn our salvation. Isn't that good news? Isn't that freeing? Doesn't that take away some of that worry? Do you have anxiety about your work? Am I doing it right? Am I doing enough? If you're wondering how much you have or how long you have to work to earn your acceptance with God, your restored fellowship with God because you're a sinner, your forgiveness before God, worry no more. You don't have to work at all for those things. Those things come as grace. They are paid for. It's a gift. You just receive it. That should free you from being a workaholic. It should free you from worrying about what other people think. Those scorecards we put up here of success and stuff and status, if you're right with God, Who cares what other people think? Do you see how freeing this is? If you are right with God by sheer grace, who cares what anybody else in the world thinks? Even yourself. You don't have to work to earn your salvation. You couldn't do it even if you tried. So you are free of all those expectations that might wear you down. But you also don't get to boast. You don't get to draw the glory to yourself. When you do your work, you don't do it to earn credit with God or to show off yourself. You've been saved in such a way as to eliminate boasting. So what does that say about working for self-fulfillment, self-esteem, self-worth, self-identity. 
Maybe self isn't so important or central after all. This probably requires some repenting on our part. Because as, as people, as humans, we love to boast. We love for the attention, for the spotlight to be on us. I know I do. There's freedom here in grace. But it requires letting go of our right to our own glory. See what I did? Here's how Tim Keller said it in his great book, Every Good Endeavor. He says, The gospel of salvation through sheer grace holds a second implication for work. While ancient monks may have sought salvation through religious works, many modern people seek a kind of salvation, self-esteem and self-worth from career success. This leads us to seek only high-paying, high-status jobs and to worship them in perverse ways. But the Gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves and secure our identity through work, for we are already proven and secure. We are already proven and secure. Does that help you this morning? I'm guessing that there are some tender souls here who need to hear that. You are already proven and secure in Christ. Now some of us need to hear, get off your behind and get to work. And we'll get that kick in the pants in the next few weeks. But some of you need to hear, you are already proven and secure in Christ. Nothing to prove. To anybody including God, because He's already given you the gift. If you've received the gift, the gift Jen talked about this morning, you can see why these two verses are so important to understand the Gospel. If you're trying to earn your way to God, you're not getting saved in God's way. He doesn't do it that way. Because if He did it that way, then then somebody other other than him could boast. You could boast. I talked to somebody this week that said, well, religion is like knowing that you're a good person. I said, no. It's knowing you're a bad person. And God can save you and change you. You've got to receive that gift. And I pray that you all have here, or will. And Paul doesn't stop there, though, does he? We often do. We often stop at verse 9. It's not by works so no one can boast. Moving on. But he's got more to say. He's got a verse 10. And it's more to say about works. Good works are still in the picture. They just aren't saving works. D.A. Carson likes to say the gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Here's how Paul says it. Look at verse 10. You see it? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why do we work? Because we are saved and to bring glory to God while serving others. That's why. Not to be saved or to bring glory to ourselves, but because we are saved, and to bring glory to God while serving others. So Paul says, we are God's workmanship. There's that word work, right? 
Who's doing the work? God is. We said last week that he's always been a worker. Well, here we find out what his masterpiece is. The, the, the Greek word here is poema. We actually get our word poem from it. Right? It's this product of a master workman, a masterpiece. God has been working on us. And in fact, he wants to show us off. The, the verses in chapter 2 leading up to this say that God gets glory from showing others his redeemed children. Do you think of yourself that way? That God is proud to show us off? He's proud of what He's doing in you and desires to show you off in the heavenly realms? Bob Lutz is a masterpiece. He's something that God is doing and He's showing off in the heavenly realms. You know that part of Job where God is showing him off? We always get a little nervous because he's showing him off to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? Check out what I've been doing there. Well, he's doing that with Bob. And he's doing that with every Christian here today. He's saying to the heavenly realms, have you seen what I'm doing with this person? And here's what he's doing. He's recreating you through the gospel. Verse 10 says, He is God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now that could mean created back when we were created in the first place because Jesus was there as the Word of God. But I think this is talking about the Gospel. I think this is talking about our salvation, our sanctification. We are new people now thanks to Christ Jesus. Thanks to God's workmanship in the Gospel. He's he gets out his tools every day and he goes to work on us. And they're gospel tools. And he's creating a masterpiece, a, a new thing that looks like Jesus. And because of that, we've now got work to do. Not to earn God's favor, but because we have God's favor. Does that make sense? You see where I'm going? Created in Christ Jesus, what? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Literally, prepared for us to walk in. So we're supposed to work. We're supposed to do good works. And I don't think that just means churchly things, like, like what you're doing this morning. I think it means all the many efforts that we are supposed to expend in all of life. And that includes in our work life, Monday through Friday, or whenever you do your work. Most of us spend most of our life at work. So I think these good works are probably going to be mostly done on the job. And I think that they're mostly serving others in love. Martin Luther said, I think this is excellent, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. You see that? So we don't do these to impress God. He doesn't need them. It's not like he's so needy, oh, I just wish they would pray some more and give some more. I don't know what I'm going to do. No, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That, that Miracle Mountain Ranch gift this week was $500,000. It was somebody had half a million in their pocket and loves the Lord and loves the ranch and said, here, let's just finish that, okay, so you can get on with ministry. God does that, okay? He doesn't need us, but our neighbors do. 
We're supposed to roll up our sleeves and serve others in love. These good works, most of them, are going to be serving our neighbors in love. That's a key word, serving. That's probably how we should be measuring how we're doing in our work life, not success and and status and stuff, but serving. How am I doing at serving? That should be motivating us to get out of bed and get to work each day, serving our neighbors, serving the common good, meeting needs in love, and not just needs of other Christians, but needs of anybody, our neighbor. Who's your neighbor? That's what our work needs to be about. Every week here, we've been trying to affirm you in your work. I haven't done enough of that in 17 years as your pastor. I'm trying to to fix that by celebrating you more and what you do every day. Last week, we had the nurses and the other medical professionals stand and be recognized. I thought it was interesting that pop culture this week did the exact opposite. Today, I want to ask everyone in logistics to stand. Everyone who works or worked in, in logistics. Truckers, dispatchers, office personnel, drivers, everybody whose job it is to get, see that things get from point A to point B. Would you stand and be recognized? Mail carriers, transportation people. Let's thank them for their work. Now, why did I pick on you? Today. By the, I hope to pick on everybody, okay? So if I've missed your category, I'm sorry. Let me know what category I've been missing. Okay, after, after about ten more weeks of this, of recognizing people. Why did I pick on logistics this morning? Because we often don't realize how important those jobs are to our basic needs and survival. Now, Heather's different from me. But if our family had to live off of what I could grow and make on our land, our family would starve. (laughs) Truth. Where do we get our stuff? Our modern world is full of wonderful stuff. But we have it because someone got it there. And there was a lot of getting it there before it got there. Raw materials to go through a process to come over here. I could never even make a chair. We'd all be sitting on stumps. Could you make a chair? Yeah, if I had all the... There's only a few of us in this room who could make a chair, right? But we all have chairs in our house. Where'd you get it? Somebody had to get it from here to there. You know what that is? That's serving your neighbor. And if you did it as a follower of Christ, full of faith, then what were you doing? You were doing good works which God had prepared in advance for you to do. And it's that last phrase I want us to camp on as we end. God has planned out some good works for us to do because we're saved, not to get saved, but because we're saved and to serve our neighbors in love and to bring Him glory. What's the big word for that? It's calling or vocation. God has called us to our work. He's called us to Himself in the Gospel. But the Bible also says He's called us, each of us, to do certain work. I did a Bible study this week on 1 Corinthians 7.17. I don't have time to unpack it for you this morning, but look it up. 7.17 and see, called and assigned. Called and assigned. God's doing that. 
not just pastors, but everybody. It's where we get this word vocation. It means a calling. And here in verse 10, we find out that God has prepared some good works for us to walk in. Do you see how that answers the question, why work? Because God has some things for me to do today, right? The Lord has some things for me to do today. How's that for why work? God's got a plan for today. And it includes good works that He's handpicked for me to do. Some of them will be difficult. Last week we talked about how the curse affects our work. So it makes it not fun all the time. Some of our work will be fun. Some of it will be fulfilling. Some of it will be exciting, satisfying. Some of it will be rather boring and tedious and hard. But the Lord has picked them out, these works. So they've got to be good. Does that help at all? Does that help you to fire up your computer in the, at the office? Or to pick up your tools and start using them? Does it help you to climb up in the truck? Does it help you to make breakfast for the family? Does it help you to put on your scrubs? Does it help you to fill in the blank with whatever it is that you do all day? Tomorrow morning, say to yourself, I wonder what good works the Lord has laid out for me to do today. And don't just think about giving alms or or praying prayers or even being nice to your coworkers, right? We'll talk about attitude at work. But think about making widgets or building walls or baling hay or ship that thing from A to B because we're all working for the Lord, right? I know that we know this already, but do we live this way? Do we get out of bed and say, I am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for me to do. He's got a path for me to walk this week. i got work to do. Good works. Maybe I'm a student, and this week it's my job to go to school and open the books, and to listen to the lectures, and to write the problems. But it's not just to do it for the teacher, or the work, or the truant officer. It's to do it because the Lord has prepared in advance for you to do it. we got work to do, friends. Good work. Not to be saved, or to bring ourselves glory. But because we are saved, to bring glory to God while serving others. And you know what? Strangely enough, that's when we'll find satisfaction and fulfillment and identity and worth. When we're doing the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do.